Uh, God, our Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks. And as we open your word now and look at familiar words, please uh, challenge us with them, change us with them. Please help us to see Jesus in all his brilliance and to worship him. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Grab a Bible. Start turning to Luke chapter 2, and uh, Steve will read for us. So this morning's reading uh, is from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 19 and going to verse 40. That can be found on page 1028 of the Church Bibles. Uh, So that's Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations." a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Thanks for reading, Steve. Uh, (laughs) I'm not texting, just timing, timing, Uh, that's all it is. Uh, great, yeah, thanks for reading. Uh, do keep that, uh, uh, your Bible's open there. We'll make lots of reference to, to what's written. Um, 
don't know if you've seen the Coca-Cola advert this year. Um, it's, uh, it's just the goggle boxing of their old advert that you might remember. So the shots of couples on the sofas watching the TV as the kind of old Coca-Cola truck, you know, peeks out from behind the trees. And, uh, and the viewers looking at it going, oh, it's magical, it's magical. One viewer announces, oh, it's definitely Christmas now, all that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, another ad um, has uh, Mr. Penguin waddling over to um, Mrs. Penguin. And the narrator's voice comes over the top. The typical male penguin uh, shows his love by offering the female a pebble. And then uh, she walks off and you fly over to two other penguins. Some male penguins, however, are a little smarter than others. And he's got like a diamond necklace for her. You know, it's kind of nice, you know. Uh, And those those are the kind of feelings that we're supposed to have about Christmas, aren't we? You know, it's kind of gooey. It's uh, maybe a bit sickly, uh, perhaps romantic. Uh, there's something kind of unreal about it in the way it's presented on TV, which allows you to kind of indulge those feelings at this time of year that are larger than life that you don't normally get a chance to, uh, to express other times of the year. But that isn't the way that many people feel about Christmas. Two years ago, um, research sponsored by Age UK revealed that 24% of over 65s were dreading Christmas because of the way it made them feel. Uh, last year, research sponsored by Mind revealed that one in 10 people aged 25 to 34 had no one to spend Christmas with, which is quite striking because that contrasts to only one in 20 older people. Uh, who had no one to spend Christmas with. Millennials are more lonely than the elderly, according to that statistic. At our kids' school gate, um, my wife was reflecting uh, to me this week that the overall feeling she gets uh, of talking to, to friends there is that our friends feel really, really anxious about Christmas. They're anxious about the cost of Christmas. They're anxious about fulfilling their kids' expectations at Christmas. And of course, Christmas with our wider families is often a difficult experience for many of us, isn't it? It's not the happy holiday of hippie hope the adverts would have us believe. I can see lots of people feeling very awkward because we're here with our wider families, okay? (laughs) Sort of sitting there thinking, I kind of wish you'd not mentioned that, actually, you know. Uh, But it's, it's true, it's true. It's not always perfect, is it? Now, whether your feelings about Christmas are sickly sweet, fearfully fretful, or, or sternly cynical, the gospel writer Luke has something to say to us. And to hear what he has to say, then do please look in particular at the women in our reading this morning. And now the paragraphs and titles in our English Bibles were put there by translators and publishers, and in this case they're not super helpful because they hide um, the link between Mary, the young mother of Jesus in her late teens, and Anna, the elderly widow waiting for Jesus near the end. Luke's story puts this question to us. Will we follow the example of these two women, Mary and Anna? Will we follow the example of these two women? Take a look, please, if you would, at verse 19 and look at Mary. 
This is just at the end of that famous story of the shepherds who watched their flocks by night and came to visit Jesus in the manger. Look at what Mary does. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Mary treasured up and pondered. Luke wants us to think for a moment about Christmas. This isn't just another Christmas ad evoking a feeling to get you to buy a product. He says, no, no, no. What he's uh, saying is, is more substantial than that, Luke claims. Mary went out of her way to remember important things that had happened. And then she pondered, she thought about them over time and reflected on them again and again. What was going on was bigger than simply visiting the synagogue once a year or sticking on the, the carol service on Radio 4 and following along while you cook the turkey. Uh, neither is Mary uh, an example of making a quick decision. Um, rather, she treasures up and ponders, she reflects, she makes a slow decision and uh, uh, in the way she thinks about that. Just step back for a moment. Luke gives us this example of doing that. Just step back for a moment and look at things like that. And in the story that follows, Luke invites us to ponder these two questions. Who is Jesus and how do you look at him? Who is Jesus and how do you look at him? So who is Jesus? That question's on Luke's mind, uh, given uh, what he skips to in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now, names are really important, especially to Jewish people. In biblical times, the names people were given said something significant about who they are. And when an, when an angel comes down from heaven and tells you what the, how you should name your baby, even before you've fallen pregnant, uh, then that name is particularly important. I guess. And this is something that you know, we don't really think in these kind of ways today. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a name geek, so I've given my, my kids names that are very significant. They're a little bit strange um, uh, than some of the names my, some of my children have. And, and if you know them, then, then you know what I mean. Uh, but but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm sort of, I'm sort of an exception today. We don't tend to sort of name our kids thinking about what the names mean. We just think what will sound nice, what gets shortened in the playground. But back then, names were really significant. It's all about who you are. The name Jesus, Yeshua, means saviour. Now treasure that up and ponder it, please, for a moment. Ponder what that name means about him, but also what it means about you and me. If God sent his son into the world and called him saviour, then that, that means that God thinks you and I need saving from something. It's fairly straightforward, isn't it, really? Now, maybe your Christmases are always happy and hippie. Uh, and that's fantastic if they are. Uh, but the stats about Christmas that we, we thought about earlier do remind us that there's something wrong with the world at large, at least, isn't there? And we can see that on the news anyway. Who is Jesus? Well, Luke goes on in verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem 
to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Now, God sent his son not as an alien. He's not like Superman from the planet Krypton. Uh, but God sent him as a human being. And like every human being, he has a gender and an ethnic identity. He is a Jewish boy. And so he was circumcised. And his parents obeyed the Jewish law of purification that you do with kids. So he's truly human, like you and me. But there's something special as well about being Jewish in particular. Because he was Jewish, he was born under the law of Moses. The law that God had given to his people on Mount Sinai, the law that explained how it is um, that the big problems with the world get sorted out. God's saviour, okay, has a legal identity. And that's important because the salvation he will bring will have legal consequences for everyone who puts their trust in him. You ever thought about that before? Christmas is a legal thing and it has an implication on your legal standing before God. That might be new to, to many of us to think about. Please treasure that and ponder it a bit more. One great way to do that would be to try out our Christianity Explore course after Christmas. Um, A great way to ask questions, to think more uh, about Jesus being saviour, and particularly, why is he a legal saviour? What does that mean? Um, Think about that uh, in that setting. Who is Jesus? Well, Luke goes on even more in verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, in the law, you were supposed to offer a lamb. That's what most people did. But there's a special exception. Let me read you a bit of Leviticus 12, 7 to 8. Now, um, I know that you weren't coming here expecting uh, to hear the Jewish legal stuff read to you. I'm sorry if I don't want to blind you with my knowledge, but I've read this. So I'll read some out to you now. Leviticus 12, 7 to 8. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons. God's saviour, Jesus, was not born into the nobility. He was not even born into the middle class where most people could afford a lamb. He was born poor. He was a working class kid, okay, who had to live by the special exception made for people who couldn't afford the normal stuff that you take to the temple. Now treasure that up and ponder it for a moment, please, if you would. If you listen to the radio, or if you watch songs of praise, uh, or if you come here, perhaps even, and look around, it would be very easy to imagine Jesus is for middle-class people who are educated with money. In our culture, Christmas has become all about spending money, hasn't it? Um, I don't know if you've seen the Curry's PC World ad as well. Now, this is the one where the parents are there joking with their kids. Uh, uh, th- this year, you know, we decided Christmas had become far too commercial. Um, uh, we're, we're, back in our day, it was all about the family sitting around the fire and chatting and playing games with each other and getting to know each other. And you see the kids' faces, kind of three of them kind of standing there just kind of, you know, not very happy about it at all. 
And the parents just kind of go, ah, look at your faces, joking. Okay, um, let's go and show you what mum could bring back because she works at Curry's. And they walk through their massive house and show the kids this giant TV screen uh, that uh, mum has brought home from work to try out. You know, it's all a you know, bit of a big laugh. You know, it's a bit of a fun, it's a joke. But actually, it's an, it's an awful bit of fun. It's actually quite poor taste, I think, actually. Anxiety at the school gate this year um, by loads of people about money and kids' expectations. 31% of people okay, will go into debt this Christmas. That was an estimate uh, made by... I'm really sorry, I can't remember who made that estimate, but I've got it on my notes at home. I haven't written it down. But 31% of people, I found a statistic, um, will go into debt this Christmas, which is kind of fairly typical, apparently. Just trying to buy presents for their kids. And those sorts of financial issues hit the poor the hardest. What have we as a society done to Christmas? We need a new Charles Dickens and a new Christmas Carol story, don't we? Because somehow, it's not that people are Scrooges today. It's that we're kind of Scrooges in a completely different way. Um, When nearly a third of people will go into debt to fund Christmas and Christmas presents, and the television adverts mock you for not spending enough, okay? Isn't there something kind of wrong there? It just feels kind of uncomfortable. Well, you know, Jesus was working class. He was poor. They couldn't afford the usual thing that everyone spent when a kid was born. They couldn't afford a lamb. They had to go with the cheapo option. Yeah? They bought the Christmas presents in Poundland. Yeah? That's what they did. That's what they did. Unlike wherever else people, you know, John Lewis or wherever it is, that people, we might want to buy presents. That's, that's, that's where Jesus came from. That's where God sent his son to be born in. Ponder that even further. Why was God's son called a savior? Because we need saving. Why was God's savior born under the law? Okay, because we're trapped by something legal, which you can explore more at Christian Explorer elsewhere. Why was God's savior born into poverty? Because actually on one level, no matter how much money we have materially, we are all spiritually completely poor. Spiritually at least, we're all living in poverty. And that's why Jesus came, to live in poverty. God's saviour, to save us from that. Who is Jesus? Three hints that Luke gives us. Jesus can save people who maybe don't yet know that we need saving. Jesus can set people free from a law who probably don't yet know that we're legally trapped by the way that we've treated God. And Jesus can make people spiritually rich who maybe don't yet know that we are spiritually poor and in the next life will be materially rich as well. That's who Jesus is. So how do you look at him? How do you look at him? There are two ways of looking at Jesus. There's materially... Okay, which is the kind of, I guess, the default. That's the place we all start from. Uh, he was a little baby. Oh, isn't that cute? You know, that's one way of looking at him like that. Uh, or, or maybe 
Um, you might look at him as a kind of social construct for people to invest their angst about the world and their hopes and dreams or whatever. It's another kind of material way of looking at Jesus. Or you can look at Jesus spiritually. And that's what Luke goes on to tell us about now. Please glance at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Simeon is a man with the Holy Spirit. He's an example of looking at things spiritually. And he looks at the same things that all of us do. The question is, do we look at those things with the same eyes as him? Now, as I get older, my eyesight gets increasingly bad. And when we lead services at the front of church, and we're all supposed to say something together like we did earlier, I'm supposed to do that by reading what's on the back screen over there. They no longer print it off and put it here. We no longer have a screen down there. We're supposed to look there. Okay? Now, um, I often can't see what that screen says properly, um, especially if I'm not wearing my glasses. And, and incidentally, I think that tells me that even when I'm wearing my glasses, I need new ones, okay, because I can't see properly. Often, and this might surprise you to hear this, John tells me off, okay, after I've led, um, because apparently I do weird squinty faces from the front of church. And if you think that's unfair, then do please feel free to express your feelings to him after the service. I'm sure he'd be glad to receive some feedback as well. You see, John and I can look at the same thing, but he's got eyes to see and I don't. Okay? It's the same with Simeon. He's like John. I made you the good guy in the story, okay? He's like John. He looks at the same thing as someone else, but he can see. That is what the Holy Spirit does for people. If you want to have the Holy Spirit, feel free to pray and ask God for him. Uh, You can ask someone to pray with you if you like. You can pray on your own. Uh, People with badges or regulars with some responsibility around here, you can ask someone with a badge if that sort of helps you. Or, as I say, you could come to Christianity Explored, find out more, ask about the Holy Spirit and how you can have him living in your life. In verse 25, Simeon looks at the world. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That was what he saw when he looked at the world. Simeon had a spiritual perspective on the world around him. He'd heard God's promises about sending his son and was waiting for it. If you're a Christian today, God promised to send his son back. Will you be waiting when that happens? When you look at the world, do you see yourself waiting? When is this world finally going to be fulfilled and finished with Jesus returning in the way God promised? How do you view the world? What are your priorities this week? Is your priority this week just getting through? Okay. Is your priority this week dieting? Is your priority this week making the kids happy? Is your priority this week having a rest? Is your priority this week trying to make sure you don't overspend or make up for the overspending you've already done? Or is your priority this week, whatever else is going on, waiting for God's promises for another seven days? Now, I don't think Luke is telling us to do anything in particular. But he is asking us each day this week, what eyes do we see things with? each morning when we wake up. 
Because as we see things differently, as we start seeing things more and more like Simeon, it changes everything in ways that we couldn't predict or that I couldn't predict for you standing at the front of church. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, Simeon has a particular calling here, but he is satisfied viewing his own life through the lens of God's promises and God's calling on him. Verses 29 and 30. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, according to psychology today, so I did, I wrote down the reference for this. Well done. According to psychology today, Christmas time can especially exacerbate or bring on depression for many of us. And part of the advice that I found on their website um, is avoid excessive rumination about your life. How do you view yourself? If we have a tendency to view ourselves around this, this kind of time of the year, how do you view yourself? Through material eyes or through spiritual eyes? Simeon, by the Spirit, so viewed himself that simply meeting Jesus as a baby, his life was fulfilled. What would it mean for you to view yourself through spiritual eyes this Christmas? Rather than those kind of judgmental, self-looking eyes that tell you how 2017 has not been as good as you wanted. You didn't keep that New Year's resolution. You've, you've not achieved that thing you wanted to achieve. How could you look at yourself with spiritual eyes, and what would that do? For Simeon, that is, of course, all about how he views Jesus. Verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Those last lines... This Jesus is saviour of the entire world. For Israel, which is uh, all Jewish people, and for Gentiles, which is all non-Jewish people as well. When you look at Jesus, who do you see? Do you see a kitschy cartoon story that we, we trot out once a year? Do you see a beloved but boring baby boy? Uh, do you see a typical cultural trope? Or do you see God's salvation? Huge power and significance. With what eyes will you look on things this Christmas? Verse 33 goes on. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Now this is no Christmas ad. All surface and no substance. His parents marvel at what Simeon says. It is a remarkable thing. Okay, it is unusual. Okay, sometimes we might read the Bible and you kind of imagine all of this kind of weird stuff. They just thought it was kind of normal. No, it's not normal at all. It's weird. They marvel at it. As with Mary, Luke wants us to treasure and ponder these things. And so given the weight and significance of the claims that have been made about Jesus, Luke recognizes that this baby will be divisive. 
verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Jesus divides people. Some of us in this room will, will not be happy with what we've heard this morning. We won't like it. It won't be what we would have wanted to hear, perhaps, when we came uh, to church at Christmas. Maybe we don't like the Bible when we read it. Maybe we don't like what we hear about this Jesus being king and savior of the world and us needing sa- salvation. Others of us will have some, some kind of burning inside with what we hear. As though something finally makes sense for you. As though you feel particularly encouraged by it. The same message will have two very different effects in this room right now. But the division goes even deeper than that. Verse 35. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul, your own soul too. Mary herself will be conflicted about her son. There'll be huge joy for her. She's sung about that in Luke chapter 1. But there will be huge pain for her as well. Not only will there be division in this room, but there'll be division inside ourselves. Mary's a very special case, of course. She's Jesus' mother. But actually, all of people who trust in Jesus will experience both great joy and pain and suffering. Luke's story raises a lot of questions. And um, it juggles with lots of ideas and different thoughts. Please follow the example of Mary, this girl in her late teens, and treasure them up and ponder them. But after doing that, there's another example to follow. And we'll end with this. Verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. An old woman who'd faced tragedy when she was young and lived alone for almost her entire life. She'd given that time over to seeing things with spiritual eyes. Verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the first person in Luke's gospel to publicly advertise the good news of Jesus. Before now, people have sung or they've prayed to God or they've had private conversations. But Luke's women are very significant. It's the first person to sort of stand in a public place and start explaining um, uh, the good news about him. Anna's soul had been pierced in its own way. And yet she'd learned, resent- she'd learned contentment and personal healing as she viewed things in her life through spiritual eyes, every day going to the temple, praying, hearing God's word. When finally she meets Jesus, she's overjoyed by that relationship. And all she wants to do is tell people about him. In some ways, we as a culture have ruined Christmas. Step back and look, if you can, with spiritual eyes. The magic of this festival is preserved in our culture by people who want to take your money with kitschy adverts on television. Okay? That seems to be the big thing. You can sort of get a rating of the top adverts. You know, what's the best ones for Christmas? Getting in the Christmas mood. It's adverts where people turn to for that. Families we know are massively anxious and stressed as a result of all the spending and the money. 
people are sucked into debt, into debt um, and depression at this time of year. So what does Luke say? He says this, treasure up and ponder the person who Christmas is about. God become man who is a savior, the savior, born under God's law, born into poverty for you and for me. Having grown up, he didn't take money from the world. Instead, he gave his own life for the world. That is the substance of Christmas. How will you look on him over this coming week? I'm going to say a short prayer and then we'll carry on with our service. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. As we hear these words, there will be some of us here who find these very difficult to hear. And there'll be some of us here uh, who are really encouraged by what Luke tells us about the Lord Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us spiritual eyes to look at him today, tomorrow, and in this coming week. Pray that that would transform Christmas for us this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.